Welcome to the Art of Humanity with Jessica Ann. Listen for fresh perspectives with artists, leaders, authors, and entrepreneurs. Explore creativity and consciousness. Evolve your business with the Art of Humanity. Now, here's your host, Jessica Ann. I am joined today by Mark Groves. He is a relationship blogger, and he writes about love, honesty, trust, sex, and magic. Wow. <laughs> That's a whole lot of awesome right there. Um, I like that you added in magic. I like that. Yeah. So you didn't always write about this stuff your whole life. I know that it kind of took you some years to kind of come into this person who you are today. And I love everything that you post. You're at Create the Love on Instagram and everything that you post is just magic. It's like, wow, it really resonates with me. You speak the truth and it shows and you're just such an inspiring human being. I'm just so excited to talk to you um, and get kind of your backstory. So I'm really interested in hearing a little bit more about your background and kind of what guided you to the point where you're at today. Um, well, first off, thanks for all those kind words. That was like, <laughs> I could just leave now and be elated. I'm like, oh, that was good. I feel good. Um, so my backstory, oh, man, so many that, you know, when you look back in your past and you can see all the things that just sort of like at the time were frustrations or, or mistakes or whatever, and they just perfectly align. Mm -hmm. Eventually they all connect. So for me, I, I, I guess like the big sort of experience that, that, uh, for sake of a better term, sort of woke me up was um, was the ending of a relationship when I was 27. And it wasn't because the, the relationship itself was like a devastating experience. It wasn't. It was a beautiful experience. It was more like I, I got engaged to a woman that I dated for five and a half years who's just like an amazing, amazing woman. And I wasn't excited about getting engaged. I wasn't, you know, all the things that I've been sort of, I guess, taught growing up. Everything just sort of like came very clear to me once I got engaged because all those like moments of doubt before, like, am I supposed to be afraid of commitment? Am I, there was all these things that were like feelings I had that it just, it wasn't right. Not that she isn't a great person, but that the relationship experience itself had sort of like run its course on my side. And it was, it, it was that moment when I ended the engagement where I was like, wow, I am, I, I am not existing in a perfect place here. Like, what got me here? <laughs> and how do I never get to this place of sort of misalignment or misidentification with my feelings? Because I could see that years before I'd felt sort of uncertain about the relationship which I'm sure people experience all the time within any relationship. But for me, it was like this knowing or this feeling, but I was so afraid to act on it. And I can look back and be like, think of when I was 24 or 25 and think of, of that feeling, but I didn't know what that feeling meant then. Does mm. that make sense? Yeah. So would you describe it as intuition? Yeah. Yeah. I would, I think now, like I live my life so under the guide of, does it feel good mm -hmm. or does it not? Does it feel free? So I just am always living in that, that nature of intuitive guide, guidance with my brain. Of course, you need to bring your brain along. Mm -hmm. But it's like I lived so far deviated from my true self that 
it was like now I need it. I'm so back into that that living anyway out of it just doesn't make sense to me. I think a lot of people can relate to that. You know, the culture and society that we're raised into, we're taught to kind of think with our head and not think with our hearts. And we kind of form into these humans that don't really resonate with our hearts. And we look at our lives and we're like, holy crap, like how do we become this person? And it really takes a strong person to really dissect it and to go deep into yourself and know that that's not your truth. So what were some of the things that guided you to step into your truth and know that your heart has the power over your mind? I think it was, like, I think we're all given this sort of, you know, passive guidance system. Like you said, we're taught to, you know, think more with our hearts rather, or sorry, with our heads rather than our hearts. And my sister, I remember once said to me, she said, the more you trust your heart and make decisions based on it, the more you will sort of like buy into the experience of it. You'll, you'll realize that it's right all the time. Mm-hmm. And, and it'll carry more weight for you. And I think we are so cerebral now that we tend to, we always have this feeling. And I, you know, when I work with people, I talk to them a lot about what feels free. Because mm-hmm. I know that whenever I make choices that don't feel free, they're not in alignment with my intuition or my heart. And whenever, you know, like I'm sure many people can attest to this at any time in their life, when a relationship ends that they don't necessarily want to be in anymore, it feels like a million pounds are lifted off your shoulders. Yes. So I think that guiding principle is, you know, like what's contributing to the person you want to be? What's getting you? Because we could all write down on a piece of paper what would be our ideal self, mm-hmm. right? And totally. so how do we get our lives to be that paper? And really we're only, most people are only a couple decisions away from being that. But we exist in this sort of other, if we thought about it as two roads, we're really just one road over and we just need to make a couple decisions to get on our own road. And that road is truly a sense of freedom. And I think once you live in that road, you will never drive down another one because it's so free. It's an interesting construct too of like when I went through the relationship ending, I really was in such a confused state. At the first I was like, I'm never getting married. I don't believe in marriage or monogamy anymore. You know, you always, like, cycle to the opposite of what your frustrations were from. Of course, one extreme to the other. (laughs) Yeah, so in that moment, I I could see so many people struggling with, like, where does love fit in our lives? Where does, what makes great relationships last and others not? And I wanted to deconstruct sort of, like, the science behind that to, to, like, cerebrally understand what's really going on rather than what I was taught in Catholic school. Or, or through cultural influence like media. So with the influence of culture, religion, and the media, I mean, today's society seems to have a very concrete definition of love. And it's really far removed from some of the Eastern philosophies that, you know, that I know that you read and, and I'm a big fan of as well. Do you think that we do need to be taught the definition of love? Well, I think we can, you know, as humans, we always want to define things and have like, okay, well, like constructs that we can, that we can, or analogies that, or that make it so it's factual or easy to understand. But we certainly know what love isn't, mm-hmm. you know, like you can know when you feel um, like you don't fit in or that you're not understood, you know, all these simple human desires and behaviors that really define whether you're comfortable in a relationship or not. And you know, love is sort of like, for me at least, is that 
sort of like free-flowing, easy experience. It's, it doesn't have to exist purely in a romantic sense either. But I don't think that I ever needed to be taught what it was. I think that I was taught constructs of what a relationship had to look like or should look like. And that was not always based on love. A lot of it is just that what you see is like a Monet, you know, with love. From far away, it's okay, but up close, it's a big old mess. <laughs> to quote yeah. one of my favorite lines from Clueless. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, you see love and it's like, okay, marry, you get the wedding, you get the fairy tale wedding, you live happily ever after. But the reality is that, you know, for the most part in most relationships, that couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, and a lot of people aren't willing to openly discuss their issues, you know, whether it is within their relationship or with love or with, you know, new ideas that come along as you evolve in your marriage. I think a lot of, um, a lot of it has to do with love combined with freedom. And mm -hmm. I know that um, freedom is such a huge part of masculinity. I know that in um, David Data's book, he writes, masculine anger is always because you are feeling constrained, trapped by life where feminine anger is always because you are feeling unloved. So, mm -hmm. like, how do you see the tie-in between love and freedom? And what would you tell people if they feel trapped by love or if they do feel unloved? Hmm. If you feel trapped by love, I mean, that's a, that's a complex question. So if yeah. you're feeling trapped by love, I think that there's, like, a, a, your love and your relationship, generally, I mean, they'll always shift through ebbs and flows. But... The essential part of relationship is that your relationship should not be where you always go to get depleted, right? Mm -hmm. Like a lot of relationships can feel very heavy for people. Like they don't go back to their boyfriend or girlfriend or husband and wife to feel better, which is essentially what relationships should be. Mm -hmm. Like we shouldn't be in love and, and relationship with people that don't allow us to be ourselves. And we also, it's on us to create an environment that provides that, you know, there's if you feel trapped, you have to make choices as to what would freedom feel like. You know, like what conversations would enable you to get to a place of freedom. As much as I don't think that today's generation is dismissive about relationships and just moves on to the next, I think that's a very simple way of saying that they might want more from relationships than what they've seen in their parents' generations. And what they're getting is maybe not necessarily what is matching. And I think that we also need to really explore the concept of how do we build a relationship that does feel free. And that's a different kind of mindset than a lot of what people are used to. There's an evolution that's happening with love and with relationships and with freedom. How do you see this kind of panning out in the future? Do you see that it's going to benefit humanity down the line? Yeah, I mean, I personally think that most of the education surrounding relationships, I mean, we don't teach people how to be in relationship at school, but I would argue that learning how to be in a high-functioning relationship, whether it's romantic or just friendship or whatever business, is the most essential skill that will determine every aspect of your success of your life. And knowing the impact that that means, and it's also going to impact what sort of father or mother you are, and that's raising another generation. And it's like, at what point are we going to intervene? Because most of us are learning from our homes how to be in a relationship or from coaching or from working with playing on sports teams or whatever. But it's like, at what point do we intervene from an educational standpoint and enable people to thrive and have difficult conversations? You know, the 
like you said before, that David Data idea, that anger comes from this feeling of being trapped or not having freedom. And, you know, when you think about young bullies, those feelings are not coming from feelings of freedom. Like there's something emotionally that's being restrained there and it's coming out in aggressive ways. And, I mean, I think that it's also important that the generations of today understand that marriage wasn't always about love. It's a construct that was part of our economy. You know, mm -hmm. if you live next to the farm next door, you married that, that woman or man so that you could merge farms. You know, you married someone from another tribe to create a greater network of safety. You know, there's all these different reasons why marriage exists in different cultures, and we think that it's purely to stay together forever, when truthfully it was actually not about love till the 19th and 20th century. So I think we started seeing like a revolution in a way of, of marriage, because look at the patriarchal marriages of the 50s and 60s, like it's no wonder that women didn't want to be married anymore to a lot of those marriages. So I think yeah. that we are moving in this beautiful direction of um, Esther Perel, I think is how you pronounce her name. She has a great TED talk on the secret to long-term desire. She talks about how right now we sort of expect everything that a tribe and a culture provided us from one partner. And so I think that it's sort of this negotiation of how do we manage all the things we want, but also learn the skills to exist in great relationships. Another one of the prophets, you know, from back in the day who talked about, you know, the beliefs towards marriage was um, Osho. I'm curious what you think. Do you think that his views are extreme or are you in line with how he views marriage? Uh, I mean, I love Osho. You know, I've, one of my favorite books is Love, Freedom, and Aloneness from him. Mine too. Um, it's, <laughs> yeah, isn't it great? It's for sure one of the most transforming uh, relationship books that I've ever read um, just because of its focus on the difference between loneliness and aloneness. I think that was one of my favorite yes. sort of aspects of the book. Totally. It's amazing how like random book recommendations, like I just picked it up from a friend and all of a sudden it's like ratified the way I was thinking. Totally. It, it changed my life. Yeah. Like I love the way he talks about, um, about marriage and I, and I, I know that I do actually, I save his quotes and I love it. And he has, he has one that I love that is, uh, if love is there profoundly, marriage will not be needed. What is the point of marriage? That's like putting legs on a snake or painting a red rose red. It's <laughs> unnecessary. Why go to the court? There must be some fear inside you that the love is not total. And I, I mean, I don't think that all of that is true. Like, I do think that marriage as a, a partnership and a, and a commitment to say, hey, like, I see you as the person I want to share my life with. I think that there is a lot, there are a lot of people who get married out of fear, you know, fear that their partner might leave them. I mean, we all have or have heard of or know people who got married when things were not good. They like decide to get engaged and then they decide to get married and then they decide to have a kid to bring all of these things into their dysfunction. And I, I, what I love about Osho's work is he's really all about be true to love. And there's so much simplicity to it, and it makes so much sense. that It's just beautiful. Yeah, I think there's that really beautiful thing how he defines that being true to love, like my interpretation of it, is being true to love doesn't mean your relationship lasting forever. Mm -hmm. It means existing within the integrity of what you know. So if you know that something's off in your relationship, you just talk about it, and that's being true to love. And 
if you can let go of the need that every relationship has to last forever and then change it as a guiding intention that you want it to, but, but make it so that your measure of success in relationship is are you being true to love and are you doing the best you can? And if you do that in every moment, because we're not always going to be able to be you know, really great at talking about stuff and exist in this perfect space of communication because we're human. But if you do the best you can, the moments will add up. And that's the thing. You know the truth by the way it feels. Do you agree? When I, th- yeah, I totally agree. And I, I think the biggest learning that I had from my five-year relationship, I mean, I had many, 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 but one of the biggest learnings I had was that the whole time I ran from communicating about what was important, I was taking another human being along with me because of my fear. Mm. And I wasn't even giving her the opportunity to, to hear me and trust that she has all the tools to manage whatever I say. And even if that meant our relationship dissolving, which ultimately happened, it's like my selfishness of f- and fear is now taking other people. And I think that we need to realize the immense responsibility that comes from living in fear is also taking up other people's time and not allowing them to participate in the conversation that could ultimately lead to more love and evolution for both of you. What would you advise men who kind of might be in that phase or they're almost kind of, they're willing to open up a little bit, but they're still in that kind of uncertain territory? Of not being able to share their emotions, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, I'm really intrigued by this sort of like masculine dance with the feminine. And I've really, you know, just based on my own life, that's what I I always ride from. I think that a a lot of the time I, I can blame it, although I'm taking full accountability for it, is that a lot of my fear of expressing how I felt was probably fear of hearing or seeing the effect of what I said on someone else or hearing what their response was or um, having to deal with very vulnerable subjects. And I think that it's an easy blame to say that it's because of the way I was taught from a society perspective that you know men don't necessarily share what they feel or that they don't speak about emotions. It's, it's not masculine to do so. And that's just one archetype of how we define masculinity. And I, I know that for me, I now talk about everything that I'm afraid to talk about because those are the things you really have to. I mean, if there's one thing that I can say to any men who are, and I mean any human, because everyone does this, if you're sitting on these emotions that you want to express, you know, they're going to come out in other ways. And my friend Vienna, who's a therapist, she always says that anger is a secondary emotion. It always comes from something else. You know, it's generally not because you left the toothpaste cap off the toothpaste that people get angry. It's about what does that mean to the other person. Sometimes it is the toothpaste cap, but yeah, if it causes anger, it's something else. And I think that as men, we need to just own our emotion. And, you know, we need to be able to be assertive and expressive about how we feel and know that it doesn't affect how we are as men. Do you believe that sexuality and spirituality need to coexist for a relationship to work? Well, I think that sexual experience in terms of the construct of like, let's say, monogamous relationship, the, I mean, absolutely essential to have connectedness. I, I think it's really interesting that when you think of orgasm, there's actually no moment that is more vulnerable than orgasm. 
We are absolutely at the whim of, you know, evolutionary combustion, so to speak. No pun intended. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I know from my, I speak from my own sexual experiences that when they are from that connected space, whether it be spiritual or just, you know, from a very connected sort of like emotionally high loving space, to me, they're much more satisfying and fulfilling than from a place that isn't, you know, there. So I think for a relationship, yeah, absolutely. I think that a lot of the times we, again, with sexuality is much like any construct we're taught. You know, I find that with my writing, if I write anything that's sexual or anything that's maybe a little more, um, not crass, but just like has something like the word vagina or something in it, I get much less interaction from a visual sense. So people won't comment as much or like it as much, but they will interact with the post more. What do you mean that they'll interact with it more? Like, let's say it's like a, an article that I share that's about, I shared an article on how to eat, how to eat pussy for evolved people. That's what it was called, which is obviously like, you know, I wouldn't maybe use the word pussy, but it, I didn't write it, but it was a great article mm-hmm. and it got, Less interaction than most inner articles, like likes and comments and mm-hmm. shares. But it got like 400% more reads than any other article I shared. Like not 50%, like 400%. Wow. And that to me just shows how uh, just that, that pure little sample of data shows me how fearful we are of other people knowing that we want to talk about those things, mm-hmm. but we all want to know more. And... There's again like the shame that's associated with sex and the conversations about sex. And I'm like, hey, we gotta we have to just talk about it. Like if you have some sort of fetish, why not explore it with your partner? Like there needs to be these safety zones where we can communicate about the things that we want sexually. Because what happens when we repress sexuality? You know, we see it manifested in many ways, and I don't want to get into the to those things, but mm-hmm. you do see it manifested in many ways. It seems like it's all about, to get to that kind of higher state of awareness, it seems to, that really the key to that is really just listening to your heart and just being open and letting that guide you through whether it's your sexuality, your spirituality, whatever it is. I mean, would you agree to that? Yeah, and I think that's another real tough thing is that we're taught constructs of what makes a great relationship. We're taught constructs of what makes... Um, the ideal religion and you know you're like born in and of course I'll stay structurally slightly outside of the total depth of religion because that's a whole other animal but Mm -hmm. I do believe that we are taught what we are supposed to be as an ideal Catholic Christian Muslim whatever it is and often most of our lives do not reflect this you know if we are in those sorts whatever sect it is and we build, like our life becomes a different definition of those things, but we experience guilt almost our whole lives because they don't align with what we're taught. And, you know, I'm where I'm like, hey, live what feels good based mm. on what you know. Exactly. Because we all have that guidance system. Like, how many people actually wait till marriage to have sex? Not that I think you should be doing it when you're like 14, but we're humans. You gotta have like, sex. Like, what are we gonna do? Repress it? Like, <laughs> My gosh, I couldn't even imagine have, like, I do remember being in grade nine and I remember exactly where I was sitting and I was thinking, I'm not going to have sex till I'm married. How long did that last? It lasted like, my mom, she listens to this. It lasted like two years. (laughs) I was in grade 11. 11, wow. (laughs) I wasn't 11. I was in grade 11. Oh, grade 11. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big difference. Yeah. (laughs) 
I didn't even know how to talk to girls when I was 11. That wouldn't have worked out well. <laughs> it seems like you definitely know how to talk to girls now. I have many practices of failure. You have that going for you, so. <laughs> <laughs> what else do you want to share? Like, is there anything from your experience or practice that you kind of notice that's going on in general with relationships that you can kind of give really practical advice to any of our listeners about? I talk a lot about the sort of like getting back into this space of love with yourself because that's, you know, as anyone knows, any work you do, it's always about getting back to this sense of self-worth and getting back to not being that you may have lived there before, but getting back to it because it's really like becoming who we always were. You know, for me, it was like I went through my early age, like till I was, you know, 13, 14, I was me. I didn't even, when you're a kid, you don't think about all these things you're taught because you don't know them yet. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden you're sort of like start to build this walls and these massive ideas of what you're supposed to be like. And then as I've gotten older, I'm just like throwing away all of those things and becoming who I was at four with better dialogue. But it's like who I am is just back to that. And I think that I talk a lot about that, but I also think one thing that's from an intellectual perspective really important is that if you're in relationship or even before, like whenever we, we usually seek relationship advice and information when shit hits the fan. You know, we reach it, we reach for it when we're at rock bottom, so to speak. And I beg for people to learn before because much like being in relationship, it's much like going to the gym and maintaining a healthy body. And so it's more, and you can be single or taken to understand this, that it's really about having effective rituals as a couple that allows you to build and thrive and have long-term thriving relationships. A lot of people can stay together and be pissed off and never happy. That's easy. But it's like, how do you have really long-term thriving relationships? So I think that it's really important that people learn that you don't just show up and know all these things. It's okay to not know. I love that. It's okay to not know and to exist in uncertainty. I mean, you don't want uncertainty for every part of your life, but I think uncertainty, in an uncertainty, you can almost learn a little bit more about yourself than if you are always so certain about things. Yeah, and it's existing in that space of comfort, like you said, just like giving yourself permission and knowing, though, that it is on us to create the relationship that we want. And, you know, that's, you know, essentially like how I think about everything is like if I want thriving friendships, a thriving job, a thriving relationship, it's on me to determine what that baseline is and what that environment looks like. Much like a corporate culture, you establish a relationship culture. I, I know that there's people that don't really want to, you know, like there's people who are like, well, my relationship's fine. Exactly. And, yeah. you know, truthfully, is it? Because, you know, like, there's a lot of times that your experience of a connection is very different than your partner's experience. And I think that that's why if we want to exist in high-performing relationships, we can exist in regular ones. That's fine. But if we want to exist in really high-performing relationships, it's about creating an environment where we can do audits on our relationship and that be safe. Because, you know, the majority of couples, like almost all of the ones that I work with, do not ask each other how are they doing, you know, like creating the ritual. Are you happy? I really love the habit. Um, uh, it's from, uh, it's from the book, uh, from Jack Canfield, the success principles. Mm-hmm. And they talk about every week, a couple 
having, you know, dinner, pouring a glass of wine, putting the kids to bed, whatever the, the context is for the person. And you ask your partner, you know, on a scale of one to 10, what sort of partner was I this week? And, you know, you get ready to hear <laughs> what, that you might've been a two. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And what I love about creating this as a partnership is that Let's say you hear that you're a four. Well, that doesn't sound too great, right? No, but the not best, at all. <laughs> No, it's like, shit, I'm a four. <laughs> yeah. But the best relationship partners create an environment where that is feedback, not criticism. You know, because we often receive things as criticism and then we bite back defensively. But if we see that as feedback and an opportunity to grow, then we can then follow up with the question like, what would make me a 10? I'm sure that so many relationships can really get to that next level just by asking those simple questions each week. If they did, like if each relationship did that once a week, by learning the shifts of your partner, you will change with them and they will change with you. So much wisdom, so much brilliance. Mark (laughs) Groves, thank you so much for joining me. Where can people find you online? Um, You can find me on my website at markgroves.tv. So www.markgroves.tv. Um, and then on Facebook, I have a Facebook page where I share my Instagram and my, and my website stuff. And then my Instagram where I share, I blog at least once a day. Um, blog not being like a long page, but sometimes a little micro blog on Instagram. Yeah, blog. It's amazing. It's, he's at, um, you're at great the love on Instagram. Yeah. And, and if people want to email me, they can email me at connect at markgroves.tv. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. This has been fun. Thanks for listening to The Art of Humanity. Please follow us on Twitter at It's Jessica Ann. Join us next week with your host, Jessica Ann. Evolve your business with The Art of Humanity.